What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Maylari. So today I'm going to be breaking down some news across the MLB from yesterday and today, and I'll also talk about some things going on around the NFL over the last day or two. So to start off, I'm going to talk about the Baltimore Orioles. They are 600. They have a 600 win percentage since the promotion of Adley Rutschman from AAA. They are 45-30 and 30 since May 22nd when he was promoted, which is good enough for 7th best in the MLB, 7th best record in the major leagues across that stretch, and that's according to Jared Carabas. They are a half game out of the third wildcard spot in the American League. They are 61-55 on the year, 33-21 and 21 at home, which the Red Sox do play them later this week for a three-game set at Camden Yards in Baltimore. So that three-game stretch will be tough, especially considering the 33-21 and 21 at home, 12 more wins than they have lost at home. They've been great this year. At Camden Yards. As for the Red Sox, they won 5-3 to last night over the Pittsburgh Pirates. Nick Pavetta was dominant on the mound, going seven scoreless innings with one hit allowed, three walks, and six strikeouts. Austin Davis, who the Red Sox traded for, actually, at the 2021 MLB trade deadline. Last summer, they traded Michael Chavis for Austin Davis. Austin Davis pitched last night for the Red Sox against his former team and was awful. Only got one out, gave up two hits, had three earned runs, and a walk. Chavis... Is hitting 245 on the season with 12 home runs and a 695 OPS on the year. Chavis has been doing great this season against starting left-handed pitches, and tonight the Red Sox will be pitching Rich Hill. Chavis on the year is hitting 287 versus left-handed starting pitches with 11 home runs, 29 RBIs, a 537 slugging percentage, an 847 OPS, and a 310 on base percentage. He will get the start for the Pirates tonight at first base, batting third. And it's because the Red Sox are pitching, as I said, Rich Hill, left-handed pitcher. The game is tonight at 7.05. As for Rich Hill, he is 3-2 and two in 10 starts on the road this year with a 3.42 ERA on the road with a 1.183 whip in those starts. At Fenway, he's been awful this year. 1-3 record in 7 starts with a 1.615 whip. He's been a lot better on the roads. Hopefully the Red Sox can get 5-6 to six good innings out of him tonight. Alex Verdugo will be the cleanup hitter for the Red Sox tonight. It'll actually be his 10th game in a row as a cleanup hitter in this Boston Red Sox lineup. In the last nine games as a cleanup hitter for the Red Sox, he's hitting 355 with a 444 on base percentage, a 613 slugging percentage, a 1057 OPS, a home run, three RBIs, six runs scored, five doubles, and a 400 batting average on balls in play. He's been great as a cleanup hitter, and the Red Sox honestly really needed someone to step up, as I said yesterday. Zeta Bogats, J.D. Martinez, and Rafael Devis have been struggling over the last 8 to 10 to 15 games. J.D. Martinez has been struggling now for over a month. The Red Sox really needed someone to step up. Obviously, Tommy Pham's acquisition has helped out a ton. Alex Verdugo has been hitting great, and the Crystal Royals stayed hot as well. The Red Sox really needed that. Last night, Verdugo was 1 for 4. Tonight, he will be the cleanup hitter again. Hopefully, the Red Sox get a good game out of him. As for Michael Chavis, as I said, he will be starting for the Pirates tonight against the Red Sox, his former team. I've always been a big Chavis fan. As I said, he's had great success this year against starting left-handed pitches. I'd imagine Chavis, if he gets a hold of one tonight, I mean, he's hit 287 on the year against starting left-handed pitches with 11 home runs. You never know if Rich Hill hangs a curve. Vaughn Chavis hits one out. I'd love to see that root for him to do well tonight for that Pittsburgh Pirates team. Other news across the MLB, Texas Rangers manager Chris Woodward was fired on Monday. The former Red Sox infielder in 2009 was the manager for the Texas Rangers for the last four seasons. He had a 211 and 287 record, 211 wins, 287 losses as a manager for the Texas Rangers with a 424 win percentage and had a 52 and 64 record during the season before being fired on Monday. He really had the short end of the stick though, I think, since the Rangers really haven't had any help there except they, them signing Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon this past year in the offseason, but he really hasn't had too much talent to work with over that four-year span except for this season with them spending almost half a billion dollars 
on Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. Nat Woodward is the fourth manager in the MLB this year that was fired midseason, joining Charlie Montoyo, Joe Madden, and Joe Girardi. The Texas Rangers made another move today. The Rangers fired their president of baseball operations, John Daniels. He was fired. Daniels was a longtime executive with the Rangers as he got the job to be president of baseball operations in the GM in October of 2005, spending 17 seasons with the club. Over that 17-year stretch, he had 1,377 wins and 1,391 losses. So 1,377 wins, 1,391 losses with a 497 win percentage. From 2017 to 2022, though, the Rangers have been struggling heavily at 357 to 467 record, 357 wins, 467 losses with a 433 win percentage over that stretch. Obviously, Daniels now, a longtime executive with them, will be moving on from the club, and they're also moving on without Chris Woodward, their manager as well. The Texas Rangers made another move today, designating Garrett Richards for assignment. He pitched for the Red Sox last year. He was 1-1 one one this year in 32 appearances for the Texas Rangers in two starts in 30 relief appearances. He had a 5-2-7 ERA with a 1-3-3-6 whip. As I've said before, whip stands for walks and hits per innings pitched, so just Basically means the amount of base runners you allow per inning. 1.336 runners on base per inning for Garrett Richards this year in Texas. He was 7-8 and eight last year on the mound at the Red Sox. Seven wins, eight losses with a 4.87 ERA at 40 appearances, 22 starts, 18 relief appearances. Tough stretch there for the last couple of years now for Garrett Richards. And honestly, not surprising with him getting DFA'd today, especially considering he had a 5.27 ERA on the year. Now I'm going to transition to the Oakland A's, who've been making moves over the past few days now, just like the Texas Rangers. The Oakland A's released outfielder Stephen Piscotty earlier this week. The A's traded for him in December of 2017 from the St. Louis Cardinals, so he could be closer with his mom, who was sick with ALS at the time. Very nice touch and gesture by both organizations to make that possible and allow him to be closer to home and still be playing baseball while also being with his mother. After his mom passed away in 2018, he actually hit a home run in his first at-bat back. That game was actually against the Red Sox at Fenway Park. Very emotional moment for him, but saw a great pitch, took it and hit a home run. Obviously, something his mother would be proud of. He grew up actually in Pleasanton, California, which is just about an hour away from Oakland. So being traded from the St. Louis Cardinals to the Oakland A's allowed him to be closer to home, Pleasanton, California, just I believe 55 minutes, what it says on Google Maps right here. So 55 minutes away from where he was playing baseball, he was actually able to still go home and be with his family, which is really nice. So as I said, very nice touch by both organizations, that is the Cardinals and the A's. As for Biscotti this year, though, he was struggling this year with the A's, hitting just 190 with a 593 OPS, five home runs at 14 RBIs. He was in the final year of his six-year $33.5 million deal. He had 245 with 55 home runs, 191 runs batted in, and a 728 OPS in his five years with the A's. Now, this is his eighth season in the MLB, five years with Oakland, three years with St. Louis, and obviously didn't work out from this year with the Oakland A's, but he could be a solid veteran pickup for a team that needs a bench piece trying to make a playoff push. The A's also released infielder Jed Lowry last week. 262 batting average and three stints with Oakland, a 737 OPS as an Oakland A with 77 home runs, 405 RBIs, and a 333 on base percentage in 876 games over seven seasons with the Oakland A's. That's spanning over three different stints. He's hitting 180 this year, though, with three home runs, 16 RBIs, and a 508 OPS in 50 games played. He was DHing for a good amount of the games this year. At 41 games played, he was DH. He played the field in only just five games this year. He is 38 years old, so that has something to do with it. Does not have 
that much mobility anymore. He only had two stolen bases in his seven-year stints with the Oakland A's. Over those three different stints, he had seven years total. He only had two stolen bases with them. He's now in his 14th season in the MLB out of Stanford. He was a former Red Sox first-round draft pick. I've always been a big fan of him. I actually met him, I believe, in around 2008. Very nice guy, and I've always been a big fan of him. As I said, 2005, first-round pick by the Red Sox, 45th overall out of Stanford. He actually is from California, Pinalto, California. So obviously very nice of him to be able to play in Oakland and be in his home state. Obviously didn't work out this year with them hitting 180 with a 508 OPS and 50 games played. But obviously he probably wants to play the field too. He was definitely, you know, obviously getting up there with age and that has something to do with it. But at the same time, I'm sure he still wants to play the field since just de-aging every day, especially when he's used to being a really good fielder at second base and shortstop. He's used to being on the field. It's definitely a tough transition for him to being a DH. He was a free agent or going to be a free agent at the end of this season anyways on a one-year $850,000 contract. So obviously his time does come to an end with the Oakland days. But as I said, seven years, three different stints. Was a fan favorite there and was a 2018 All-Star with the Oakland days. Obviously his career didn't end there the way he wanted to, hitting just 180 this year. But at the end of the day, now he's free to sign anywhere he wants. And I think similar to Biscotti, he could be picked up by a contender. Maybe even the Red Sox. I'd love for him to come back home to Boston. I know the Red Sox drafted him. But I think you could go to a contender and maybe be a bench piece off the bench when they need a good fielder or a guy to come in and pinch hit since he did have eight pinch hit at-bats this year for the Oakland A's. The Oakland A's also made another move today. They've been making a ton of moves over the past few days to the past week, like the Texas Rangers. They did DFA and release Elvis Andrus today, a shortstop, in his final year of his eight-year $120 million contract that he signed in 2013 with the Texas Rangers, making $14 million this year. He's actually the highest paid Oakland Athletic this year, making $14 million. Now the highest paid Oakland Athletics player is Chad Pinder making $2.27 million this season. And obviously, as you'd imagine, the Oakland A's have the smallest payroll in the major leagues. Obviously, if they cut a guy, it's making $14 million. Now their 26-man payroll for the 26 active players on their roster is $14.1 million. $14.1 million. And that's for their entire roster. All 26 guys on the active roster right now are making $14.1 million combined. And if you think about it, at the end of the day, teams have like five or six guys, some teams making $14 plus million. Look at the Los Angeles Dodgers. Their current 26-man payroll is $207 million, which is second best in the major leagues behind the New York Mets making $214.8 million across their 26 active players on their roster. You look at the 2022 Total payroll, which I've actually talked about before, the 26-man payroll is how much money the team is paying the 26 active players on their roster right now, but the 2022 total payroll accounts for all the money they've given to players on their roster at any time of the season, so it doesn't have to be a current active player, whether they're on the injured reserve, a player they've cut. The 2022 total payroll for the Los Angeles Dodgers is number one in the MLB, $265 million. They have $50 million right now on the injured reserve. Obviously, Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw does not help that situation. But the New York Mets are second with $261 million on their total 2022 payroll. The Oakland A's have the lowest. $42 million, $42.9 million is their 2022 total payroll. So even with Elvis Andrus, they still had the lowest payroll in all of baseball this season. The lowest payroll, the lowest total payroll, which I've talked about before. It, it, it varies over the course of a season, depending on if you pick up a guy that was making, you trade for a guy, let's say, that has a bigger contract, then that adds, obviously, to your total payroll. 
But right now, the Oakland A's have the lowest 26-man payroll with $14 million after cutting Elvis Andrus. And now they have the lowest total payroll in the major leagues with $42 million. The next closest in total payroll is the Baltimore Orioles with $43 million, then 28th, so third last in total payroll is the Pittsburgh Pirates with $66 million across their 2022 total payroll for players that they've had on their roster. So you look at the Oakland days, as I said, $14 million is what their entire roster is making right now, their entire payroll, and their total payroll on the year is $42 million, $42.9 million, which is the lowest in both categories, total payroll and their 26-man active payroll right now. And obviously getting rid of Elvis Andrus did not help that. As I said, Andrus was in the last year of his eight-year $120 million contract that he did sign with the Texas Rangers in 2013, making $14 million a year. And now, as I said, the highest paid Oakland Athletic is Chad Pinter making $2.27 million this season. $2.27 million is the most an Oakland Athletic is being paid right now, which is wild. So for Andrus, he was traded from the Texas Rangers to the Oakland A's in February of 2021. He was hitting 237 this season with eight home runs. He actually hit his eighth home run of the season last night with a 673 OPS. This is actually his 14th season in the MLB. He's a two-time All-Star with a lifetime 270 batting average and a lifetime 695 OPS. He spent 12 years with the Texas Rangers and then two years with the Oakland A's. He was very frustrated this season with his playing time, and now he gets his chance to sign somewhere else and hopefully get maybe more playing time. I think... Like Piscotti, like Lowry, same thing with Andrus. All three of them could be a bench piece for a contending team. I think maybe even Andrus or Jed Lowry could be a Red Sox, be off the bench with Trevor Story being hurt. Maybe the Red Sox add them as a bench piece. But with all three of those guys, they're all going into their last year of their contract with Lowry being in a one-year deal. And then with the other two guys, Piscotti being on a six-year contract with the Oakland A's, and then for Andrus being on an eight-year contract. And all three of them are going to be free agents at the end of this season anyway, so I guess at the end of the day, the Oakland A's saw themselves not going anywhere and figured all three of them, give them their outright release, and give them the opportunity to play for someone else and maybe get more playing time or be on a contending team and try to win a title. So with all three of those moves, the Oakland A's now, as I said, have a $14 million 26-man payroll and the lowest total payroll in the MLB with $42.9 million. So very crazy. You can have a franchise in the major leagues paying their entire payroll right now $14 million. And if you look at it, the New York Mets, they're giving their 26-man payroll $214 million. The Dodgers, $207 million. Yankees, $174 million. Padres, $165 million. White Sox, $160 million. Phillies, $158 million. Houston Astros, $144 million. Toronto Blue Jays, $138 million. Atlanta Braves, $134 million. St. Louis Cardinals, $131 million. San Francisco Giants, $125 million. Boston Red Sox, $113 million. The Minnesota Twins are in 13th with $106 million on their 26-man payroll. Then it's the league average, $99.48 million. $99,448,000 is the league average for a team's 26-man payroll right now. And you know how much the Oakland Athletics are under that? $85 million under that. $85 million. And every team besides the Marlins, Rays, Angels, Orioles, Pirates, and Athletics, every team besides those six franchises are spending $50-plus million on their 26-man payroll right now. So now you see, in the MLB, there needs to be a salary floor. There needs to be. You can't have franchises only spending $14 million. You can't. You cannot have a team... Like the Oakland A's right now, spending $14 million on their current 26-man payroll. 
or $42 million on their 2022 total payroll. That is just unnecessary, and that is inexcusable. Baseball needs a salary floor. And honestly, they probably need a salary cap if they want to fix the whole winning and losing dynamic between bigger market teams and smaller market teams. If they want to fix that, you need a salary cap, which I doubt that's going to happen, but I do think you need a salary floor. I would bargain for that more than I would a salary cap, since I think a salary cap, chances of that are very, very unlikely. But I think you need a salary floor. Whether it's $50 million, $60 million, make it a little more competitive. Say every team in the MLB has to pay their 26-man payroll around $80 million, maybe $90 million. If the league average right now is $99.48 million, so let's say $100 million is the average 26-man payroll, make the minimum, the salary floor, $75 million then, just to make it competitive. So you don't have teams like the Oakland Athletics giving their 26-man payroll $14 million and the Pirates giving their 26-man payroll $21 million and the Orioles giving their 26-man payroll $24 million. That's three franchises, the Orioles, Pirates, and Athletics, giving their 26-man payroll under $25 million. How do you compete with teams like the Los Angeles Dodgers and the New York Mets and the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Padres and the Phillies? How? How do you compete with teams? If you look at it right now, Max Scherz is getting $43.33 million this year from the New York Mets. DeGrom's getting $33.5 million. Francisco Lindor's getting $32 million. Stalin Mate is getting $14.5 million. Mark Hanna is getting $12 million. Edwin Diaz is getting $10.2 million. Eduardo Escobar is getting $10 million. The New York Mets have five guys. Canna, Mate, Lindor, DeGrom, and Scherz are all making more money than the entire Oakland A's 26-man payroll on their own. All five of those individual players are making more money than the entire 2022 Oakland Athletics 26-man payroll. This isn't like it's 1980 and, you know, there's teams aren't paying much money to, to players because obviously guys aren't making $35, $40 million in the 80s. I know obviously today everything's adjusted. Guys are getting $35, $40 million contracts. Like Max Scherzer getting $43.33 million. But you can have a team in 2022 only paying $14 million to their entire payroll. Their 26-man payroll is only making $14 million. Like there, there needs to be something that changes. Baseball has to do something. Rob Manfred has to do something. The baseball commissioner is Rob Manfred. He has to do something. And if you look at the Los Angeles Dodgers a payroll right now, Max Muncy, Chris Taylor, Craig Kimbrell, David Price, Cody Bellinger, Justin Turner, Trey Turner, Mookie Betts, and Freddie Freeman are all making $13 plus million. $15 plus million, that is. So Taylor, Kimbrell, Price, Bellinger, Turner, Turner, Betts, and Freeman. Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger, David Price, Craig Kimbrough, and Chris Taylor. They're all making $15 plus million. All eight of those players are making more money than the entire 26-man payroll of the Oakland Athletics right now. Something needs to change. Something needs to change in baseball. Something needs to change. And I think it needs to come from Rob Manfred, the baseball commissioner. Max Scherzer is making $43.33 million this year. $43.33 million a year. One of the best pitches in baseball. I understand him getting paid that much. But if you look at the Oakland Athletics, their entire total 2022 payroll is $42.9 million. So they're paying their entire 2022 payroll. Their entire 2022 payroll, they are paying less than what Max Scherzer is getting this year. And same thing with the Baltimore Orioles. They're just over 
the $43.33 million that Max Scherzer is getting. They're paying their whole entire payroll on the year $43.43 million. So just $100,000 more than what Max Scherzer is getting this year. But if these things I'm not telling you don't make you think that baseball needs a salary for, I don't know what to tell you. It's You need a salary for to keep things competitive in the game of baseball. You need it. I know there hasn't been one. Ever. I know baseball is the slowest sport to change their rules and change their ways and try to adjust to modern times. But at the end of the day, there needs to be a salary for it to keep things competitive. There needs to be. The Oakland days only have 18 guys on their roster right now. 18 guys, according to Spot Track. 18 guys on their roster right now and are paying the $14.16 million. Something needs to change. Something needs to change in the game of baseball. And I'm begging Rob Manfred to do something about that since I think baseball would be a lot better if you maybe made a salary floor around $75 million. Every team has to spend 70 to $75 million. And even if that's too much, make it $50 million. Make it $50 million that your 26-man payroll has to be. Because there's still the Marlins, Rays, Angels, Orioles, Pirates, and Athletics. Six MLB clubs under $50 million. Six. And if you look at the amount of clubs under $60 million... You have the Guardians, Royals, Nationals, Reds, Marlins, Rays, Angels, Orioles, Pirates, and Athletics. That's 10 clubs. 10 clubs spending under $60 million. Make that the salary floor, $60 million. I think baseball would be a lot more competitive and be a lot more even. And if you think about it, 10 clubs is 33% of the MLB. It's one-third of the major leagues. There's 30 MLB clubs. So 33% of the major league clubs are spending under $60 million. I think you make that the salary floor. And I don't think it's going to solve everything. Obviously, the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Padres and the Mets and the White Sox and the Phillies are all going to be still be spending a ton of money. You're not going to probably be able to stop that unless you put a salary cap, and that's very unlikely. The chances of that happening are very minimal. But I think if you maybe made it $65, $70 million, I think baseball would be a lot more competitive. And as I said, it's not going to solve everything. It will not solve every problem in the game of baseball. But I definitely think it would make things a lot more even than they are right now. A lot more even. And they'd add more structure to the game of baseball. I think baseball needs more structure in their payroll and in their salaries. I think a salary cap is very unlikely, as I said. But I think a floor, a floor of $65, $70 million could change the game of baseball. And I think it would honestly make things a little more competitive and definitely improve the situation right now than what you're seeing in Oakland with them only spending $14 million on the 26-man payroll. And their 2022 payroll right now, as I said, their total payroll, $42.9 million. Baseball needs to do something to change that. And one interesting thing I just found was that Ken Griffey Jr. is third on the Reds' current payroll $3.6 million this season. The highest paid player on the Oakland Athletics is Chad Pinder, as I said, at $2.7 million. Something needs to change. Something needs to change. Especially if Manny Ramirez, who's still on the Red Sox payroll since they deferred a lot of his money, which at the end of the day, that happens. Sometimes teams defer money and backload it and pay guys over 20 years just to get rid of their contracts. But if you look at it right now, Manny Ramirez is making $2.023 million this year. $2,023,000 this year. Dustin Pedroia is making $2 million this year for the Red Sox. Both of those guys right now would be the third and fourth highest paid players on the Oakland Athletics payroll. And if you look at their payroll right now, Tony Kemp is second, making $2,250,000 this year. So 2.25 mil. Steven Vogt, third, $850,000. So they only have two players getting more than a million dollars. 
And both of them, Chad Pendro and Tony Kemp, making just over $2 million. Kemp's getting $2.25 million. And then you got Chad Pendro getting $2,725,000. So right now, Dustin Pedroia and Manny Ramirez would be the third and fourth highest paid players on the Oakland days. And as I said, I've been going on a rant now, probably about five to ten minutes. Baseball needs a salary floor. They need to have a change, need to do something to fix this. And one last thing about the Oakland days, they're paying more money in retained salaries right now, which is $22.371 million, $22,371,000 in retained money to Stephen Piscotti, Elvis Andrus, Frankie Montas, Lou Trevino. They're paying $22.3 million in retained money right now, which is more than their active payroll. The Oakland A's, $22,419,000 in retained money is eighth most in the major leagues. And retained money means money from players that you released, bought out, or traded. The combined salaries for all of them. So they have $22 million in retained money, which is eighth most in the game of baseball. And their 26-man payroll right now, according to SpotTrack, is $14.16 million. And honestly, that's going to change. I'm not sure if they updated this with the guys they brought up, since it still has 18 guys on their roster rather than 26 like every other team. But at the end of the day, even let's say it's $20 million what their current 26-man payroll is. Baseball needs to change something and needs to find a way around this issue of teams just not spending money. And you see it with the Oakland A's in their attendance record, which I talked about probably a month ago now. They aren't getting any fans to the games. And how could you get fans to the games? At the end of the day, when you're paying your highest-paid players, getting $2.7 million, $2.73 million is what Chad Pinta is getting. There are 373 players in baseball getting more money than him. He's the 374th highest paid player in the game of baseball this year. And that is your highest paid player for your entire team. How can you get fans to watch games? How? Especially considering the Dodgers have 20 guys they are paying more than $2.73 million to. It's just so unfair. And baseball, as I said, something needs to change and something needs to happen. But it comes down to the collective bargaining agreement which the players and the owners did not talk about a salary floor, at least there wasn't anything agreed upon in their proposal. But there should be a fine, just like there is for going over a certain salary. There should be a fine for going below a certain salary. So there should be a fine for going too low on your payroll, just like there is one, a luxury tax for going too high on your payroll. There should be one for both ways to keep things competitive. But as I said, we'll see what happens with the major leagues. And hopefully within the next five years, something changes since it's probably not going to be right now. It'd probably be the next collective bargaining agreement, if I'm correct. But as of now, their 26-man payroll, according to SpotTrack, is eighteen is $14.16 million across 18 players. That would definitely change, obviously, maybe be $20 million whenever it's updated. But as of now, that's what it says. I'm just going based off what that says. And as for the collective bargaining agreement, the one they just signed in March between the owners and the players will be in effect until December of 2026. So I know I said five years from now, there could be a change. That will be the fifth season. So the 2027 season, it would be the first season with that new CBA agreement between the MLB owners and the MLB Players Association. So maybe in that fifth season in 2027, there will be a change and maybe be a salary floor. But as I said, four years at least, this new CBA will be continued and agreed upon for. So maybe there'll be a change in 2027, but still got a long ways to go in order for that to happen. But 
As I said, with the Oakland A's, though, it's just ridiculous that they haven't been spending any money. And if you look at how much talent they've had over the last year, they had all of these guys over the last year. Elvis Andrus, Steven Biscotti, Matt Chapman, Matt Elson, Mark Hanna, Stalin Mate, Chris Bassett, Sean Manaya, and Frankie Montas. They had all those guys in the last year. And in a blink, all of them are gone. And that's why you have nobody going to the Oakland A's games. That's the, the reason. You're not going to get fans to come and watch a team spending only like $20 million on their entire 26-man payroll. Even if it was $35 million on their entire payroll, or $40 million, you're not going to get anybody to go and watch that. And I pointed this out on my 22nd episode. The Oakland Coliseum holds over 56,000 people. And in the 2022 season, the Oakland A's have an average of 9,444 people at home games. It holds 56,000 thousand people and they only have nine thousand people going to games on average that's the reason you're not going to get people to go to games is because you're not spending any money that's the main reason right there i think oakland as i said before they probably need to at least consider relocating and this isn't just this season even when they had all of those guys like i just named canna and mate and bassett all three of those guys now on the new york mets but even to continue more steven piscotti elvis andrus even with all of those talented players like Sean Manaya, they still were getting low attendance rates to their games. In 2021, they were 29th, second to last with 8,000 fans per game. Second to last, Miami was dead last. In 2019, Oakland was 20th with 20,500 fans per game. In 2018, they were 27th with 19,400 fans per game. In 2017, they were 29th with 18,000 fans per game on average. And this year, as I said, 9,000 people per game. 9,000 people for a stadium that holds 56,000 people. And if you look at it, the total attendance rate on the year, which is very low, the lowest in baseball, 510,000 fans. And if you want to compare that to other teams in baseball, the Dodgers are first with 2,659,000 fans total on the year. And the next closest... St. Louis with 2.35 million, Atlanta with 2.34 million, the Yankees with 2.1 million, the San Diego Padres with 2.1 million. There's only five teams, or six teams that is, with under 1 million total fans of their games this year. And that's the Orioles, Pirates, Guardians, Rays, Marlins, A's. And all of those teams I just named could benefit from a salary floor. Especially the Orioles, Pirates, A's, in Marlins, in the Rays. None of them are spending any money. They could all benefit from paying more players. And if you look at it, the Guardians, they're actually spending some money, more than the other teams, the 21st with $59 million. But all those teams I just named that are lowest in attendance rate this year, so the Oakland A's, the Miami Marlins, Tampa Bay Rays, Cleveland Guardians, Pittsburgh Pirates, and Baltimore Orioles, all of them are spending less than $60 million on their current 26-man payroll. So maybe that'd be a solid start, a salary floor of 60 million. It wouldn't make everything solved. I think maybe 85, 90 million make things more competitive, but I think it'd be hard us to get both sides, the MLB Players Association and the owners to agree on that. But if you look at it, there is a correlation between what you're paying, your salary, your total payroll, what you're paying every player, and your total attendance rate. There is a correlation. And it shows. Obviously, it has something to do with winning. Definitely has a lot to do with winning. 
but all those teams I just named, the Orioles, Pirates, Guardians, Rays, Marlins, A's, all six of those franchises have less than 1 million total fans at their games this year. And all six of them are spending under $60 million on their current 26-man payroll. And the Orioles, they've been playing very well as of late. $24 million on their current 26-man payroll. But besides that, and the Rays obviously having a decent year too. Not a great year. They obviously were better in years past the last couple of years, but still there in the playoff race. But besides that, the Marlins, Orioles, Pirates, Athletics, they had no hope. They have no hope right now. They had no hope going into the season. Very minimal hope of trying to make a playoff run. So in dead last in attendance rate per game, the Oakland A's with 9,000 fans per game. Miami Marlins with 11,000 fans per game. The Tampa Bay Rays with 14,000 fans per game. The Pittsburgh Pirates with 16,000 fans per game. The Kansas City Royals with 16,000 fans per game. The Cleveland Guardians with 16,896 fans per game. And the Baltimore Orioles with 17,500 fans per game. All seven of those franchises right there are spending no money. All seven of them are spending no money. And if you look at it, all seven of them are in the bottom 10 in their 26-man payroll right now. So obviously something has to happen with baseball and they need a salary floor, as I said. And the Oakland A's need something to change for them as well to get fans at games. As I said, they've been dead last this season in fans per game or second to last in the 2021 season. And obviously even when they had good players, they still weren't getting many fans to the games. They were 20th. In 2019, with 20,000 fans per game. In 2018, they were 27th with 19,400 fans per game. So it's been a problem for them for years. and just keeps going downhill with the amount of fans per game year by year for them. So now I'm going to transition to other news across the MLB. The two front runners for the AL Cy Young went at it last night on the mound. Dylan Cease versus Justin Verlander. The White Sox ended up winning that game 4-3 over the Astros. Cease gave up more than one earned run for the first time in his last 15 starts. He had 14 straight starts heading into last night, allowing one or no earned runs. He has a 2.09 ERA on the year. He went five innings with six hits allowed, three earned runs, four strikeouts to three walks. Verlander went seven innings on the mound, allowing eight hits, four strikeouts to one walk, three earned runs in a 1.95 total ERA on the year. Jose Abreu was 3 for 4 for the White Sox with a run scored in his last seven days. He's 12 for 26 with a 462 batting average, a 483 on base percentage, and a 983 OPS. In his last 28 days, he's hitting 316 with a 359 on base percentage, a 453 slugging percentage, and an 812 OPS in 25 games with three home runs, 10 RBIs, and a 307 batting average on the year. The former American League MVP is heating up at the right time as things get interesting now. Heading towards September, that's when baseball gets the most interesting in the last month of the regular season. So hopefully he stays on track for them. Now I'm going to transition to the Yankees. They are 3-11 in their last 14 games, which is actually the worst record in the majors in August. They are 8-17 since the All-Star break. And if you want to put it into perspective with the AL East, the Orioles are 10-4 in August. The Rays are 8-5. The Sox are 7-7. The Jays are 4-9. And and the Yankees are 3-11. The Yankees are 2-11 since the Joey Gallo trade to the Los Angeles Dodgers. You know what the Dodgers are? 11 and 2. Flip that. 2 and 11 for the Yankees, 11 and 2 for the Dodgers. Gallo has a 696 OPS with LA and only had a 339 OPS with the Yankees. So is the Joey Gallo curse for real? Because the Yankees right now are 2 and 11 without him and the Dodgers are 11 and 2. And at the end of the day, I don't think Gallo makes that big of a difference. Talent wise, he wasn't giving them anything on the field, or as I said, 339 OPS. But sometimes a change of scenery 
and a new guy, a new presence in the locker room, or a loss in the locker room for the Yankees can make a difference and make a change. And the Yankees obviously have been missing Giancarlo Stanton. They are hopeful he can be back next week. He is making a rehab assignment this weekend, and they're hoping he can be back next week for them. He's been missing some games. But the Joey Gallo curse could be for real. The Dodgers are 8-2 and two in their last 10 and 11-2 and two with them. And obviously for the Yankees, they've been struggling without him 2-11. Now I'm going to transition to storylines across the NFL. Patriots cornerback Malcolm Butler was placed in the IR, effectively ending his season and his chance for comeback with his second stint as a Patriot. He stays on contract and will still be on the Patriots cap for the year since he's on the injured reserve. The Chiefs did have some injuries at practice today with wide receiver Nicole Hodman being cutted off with a leg injury. He suffered a groin injury in today's practice. And defensive tackle Chris Jones left practice with a sore back. As for the Seattle Seahawks, quarterback Drew Locke tested positive for COVID yesterday and will miss the Seahawks preseason game on Thursday. This puts Geno Smith in line to start this next preseason game yet again. And now probably honestly gets a starting nod in the third preseason game as well. Gives him a higher chance of now being the starting quarterback come week one of the regular season. I thought Locke still had a chance at it, but now with him missing this preseason game, that's valuable reps for the Seattle Seahawks front office and for Pete Carroll to see who's a better quarterback and who's going to give him a better chance to win. Another storyline with the Seattle Seahawks is rookie running back Kenneth Walker just got surgery to repair a hernia, according to Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. He's expected to still be ready for week one. Last year, he was great for Michigan State, having 18 rushing touchdowns with 1,636 rushing yards, along with 13 receptions, 89 receiving yards, and a touchdown reception, so 19 total touchdowns for Michigan State last year. He was a second-round selection, 41st overall to the Seattle Seahawks in this year's draft, who did lose Chris Carson to retirement, former running back for the Seahawks, was great for them for some years. He obviously had some injuries as well. Now they get their replacement running back in Kenneth Walker, and hopefully he's ready by week one. As I said, Ian Rappaport said he should be ready for week one. Now I'm going to talk about the Patriots. They've had some skirmishes now over the last two days between their two joint practices with the Carolina Panthers. The Patriots and the Panthers have had two brawls yesterday and then two more skirmishes today at practice. I know training camp can get physical, and at times there's going to be scuffles and some late hits and some plays that opposing plays aren't going to be fans of, but the Patriots need to find a way to focus. Two fights yesterday and two fights today, four fights and two joint practices, and as I said, fights happen. Even in the same team training camp drills where Josh Allen's fighting his own teammate, a defensive tackle on the Bills. That happens. The Giants even had a skirmish last week among players on their team. Skirmishes happen even in the same locker room during training camp. And that's just what happens when you're hitting the same guys for two straight weeks in practice every single day. That's just what happens. You're going to have some skirmishes. But for the Patriots, though, two yesterday and two today, they have to find a way to focus. And this might put into question whether or not Bill Belichick is losing control. Mike Reese said he's never seen this at any point, any joint practice for the Patriots, and he's been covering them since 2000. He's never seen this. And if you look at it, the Patriots already had their issues in practice earlier in training camp when the offense didn't know what the playbook, didn't have it down, and the Patriots had to take their pads off and go backwards and start doing walkthroughs again rather than hitting in practice since the offense couldn't get the playbook down. And for the Patriots, I think they need to get back on track. Four fights in two days just shows that this team's focusing more on fighting rather than trying to get better and improve their craft. And who knows? We'll see what happens in the preseason game. But I think this Patriots division, this AFC East, got much stronger. And this isn't the time for the Patriots to be focusing on fighting rather than trying to get a playbook down that they haven't been able to get down even in practice against each other. Patriots versus Patriots in practice, offense versus defense, haven't been able to get this playbook down. 
So you shouldn't be spending time fighting with the other team, the Carolina Panthers, in a joint practice. You shouldn't be, especially four fights. That's just not one incident. That's four. So now I'm going to transition to the last part of this episode. Chargers safety Derwin James signed a four-year, $76.4 million contract extension with the Los Angeles Chargers, making him the highest paid safety in the NFL. He has a $19.133 million per year average value, which is also record-breaking in guaranteed money, $42 million guaranteed. As I said, that's record-breaking. $29 million in year one of that contract. And according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, $29 million is also another record. He's a two-time first-team All-Pro selection, two-time Pro Bowler as well in three seasons in the NFL. This is actually his fifth year in the NFL, fifth season. He's played four years prior to this, only played in three seasons. So three seasons in four years. This is now his fourth season in five years. And he's honestly had great success when he's been on the field. He missed the entire 2020 season, as I said. But he had 105 combined tackles as a rookie in 2018 with three and a half sacks, three interceptions, and 13 passes defended. And then in 2021, finally got his health after missing the entire 2020 season and had 118 combined tackles with two sacks, three forced fumbles, two interceptions, seven tackles for a loss, and seven quarterback hits. He was the Chargers' first-round pick in the 2018 NFL Draft out of Florida State, 17th overall selection. Now he is the highest-paid safety in the NFL. Anyways, that wraps up today's episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it and hope to see you guys again soon. Thank you and have a good one. I appreciate it.